This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Welcome to the 15th edition of Call to Adventure. This is John Duckworth with Alexopoulos. And we are both honored to have a good friend, Vince Graham, in the studio with us today. Vince grew up in Georgia, graduated from the University of Virginia, and lives in Charleston. He's participated in the development of over nine neighborhoods across the southeast, from Beaufort to Charleston, all the way to East Beach, Virginia. His work rethinking neighborhoods has garnered him international acclaim, speaking across the world about urban design. Most people know him as the developer of the internationally popular and locally controversial neighborhood, Ion in Mount Pleasant. But he's so much more than that. An avid historian, bibliophile, pilot, outdoorsman, sailor, serves on many local boards, is a South Carolina Liberty Fellow, and recently Governor Haley appointed him to be the chairman of the South Carolina Transportation Infrastructure Bank. Welcome to the show, Vince. Thank you, guys. Delighted to be here. Cool. Um, you know, we always said there's a list of questions we asked just kind of you know, as, as, as icebreakers, and one of them is, you know, who locally inspires you? And your list was long and diverse and impressive in that way. Uh, can you want to tell us a little bit about maybe a couple of those people? Well, um, you know, I could start with Alex and John here. Oh, come on. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all do. People who are uh, creative, maverick thinkers inspire me. Um, That's the strain that, that, that really seems to, to get you going? Yeah, they just, you know, they don't maybe they're a little quirky but uh they don't think just in uh in a straight line and sure. they um look for other ways of looking at things and appreciate other people's perspective too and and uh so that that's what those are the kind of people who inspire me yeah it, it, it's a good segue into your favorite quote um would you mind sharing that with the audience i love that quote well that's uh from um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount toward the end of the end of his speech he says um, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it so if uh, it might not be readily apparent um, it's not readily apparent you know look for that it's not yeah right and it's, it, it, I, I love that idea of, of, you know, small is the gate that leads to that sort of freedom. And, mm-hmm. and but you kind of, you got to look for it if it's a small gate. And, and so you got to be able to take the time. We were talking before the show about taking the time to pause and, and, and be still and listen. And I think that's something that uh, a, lot, a lot of people could use a bit more of. Well, we, we live in such a culture of hurriedness right and uh we get caught up in it just pulled along by it but you mm-hmm. have to almost be deliberate um and and just uh disciplined to say mm-hmm. whoa 
wait, stop. Let's make time for this. I mean, you guys both do that so well, John, with your yoga practice and both of y'all, the way you do that. Make time for family and friends and, and just slow down. Yeah. But it's just, it's, you know, that's not the way of our right. culture. We have to hurry up and do more and cram everything in. And then, that, you know, it's probably just part of getting older, but it's also mm. just realizing that it's, it's uh, hard to do that and be effective and enjoy life. You've been doing that for a long time, though. I mean, I remember uh, in in Ion, you you lived in the smallest house, surrounded by books, and I got a sense that uh, uh, you spent some good quiet time there. Yeah, I did. It's um, it was a it was a, a little a great little sanctuary. Yeah, um, kind of tucked away. Uh, I'm curious as to where those seeds were were, were born. Uh, I got a chance to spend some time with your family over the holidays, and and for the first time, got to chat with your father Tom and your brother Jeff and. Uh, John and I, we were asking uh, Tom about something, and he, and he said, I think he said when he was uh, filling out a medical form, that when it asked his occupation, he put um, aspiring philosopher. Uh, <laughs> and, it was a, a, and he said it with a little sparkle in his eye, and it really gave me some insight into, you know, Vince was maybe uh, in a family uh, that uh, sort of... Um, provided the space to think about things differently. Was that, was that the case? Yeah. I mean, I would say definitely my, my parents, both, um, my dad in particular, you know, it's, it's, uh, I like to say I was born into a family of contrarians, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that say that if the majority of people agree with you, you're probably wrong. (laughs) So, um, they're thinkers and challengers of the status quo, but you know, my mother, you met her too, mm-hmm. is, is, I would say, is much more relaxed and easy and, you know, just accepting. Good thing for my dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have a balance, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you actually, it, you mentioned it was inquisitive contrarians. Right, which, and, I, and right. I like that extra, <laughs> that extra word in the front there, because, you know, you've got to ask those questions uh, uh, along the way to figure out, you know, what, which, where to push, which you seem to, to have, uh, be real comfortable doing. Which I find so intriguing because you are a really mellow individual, and a lot of times those pushes come with a lot of aggression, you know, pushing against the grain. And I don't feel any of that with 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 you. It just seems more out of curiosity, genuine curiosity. Why is it that we do the things we do? Yeah, I, yeah John and I were talking about before the show, and I and I hope this comes across in our conversation, but. Of all the people I know, I think of Vince Graham as one of the mis- most misunderstood people I know. Hmm. Um, because on the exterior, a lot of the things that you do are pushing the status quo, which does have what John referred you know, an, a, maybe an aggressive or sort of... Uh, a harder edge. A harder edge to it. But I know you as one of the most thoughtful, kind, generous, curious, uh, warm people I know. And... Uh, it's it's an interesting sort of dichotomy that the the personal Vince and and maybe those uh, that know him from the external. Um, walk us through some of your fir- your first adventure. Um, interestingly enough, was uh, a, a trip north of uh, the North Carolina border, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, maybe one of the first times you you crossed that uh, that line. 
Well, uh, that was you're talking about uh, when I went off to college. Right. My, I had applied to three or four colleges and and got accepted uh, to the University of Virginia, which I hadn't expected to get accepted. I just enjoyed a good reputation, and I kind of you know applied on a lark, got in. So I figured at least I better go try it. <laughs> but uh, I had never been north of North Carolina at that point. Growing up in Georgia, I'd been way out to Louisiana as far west <laughs> as I'd ever been. I'm down to Florida. You didn't do a lot south, of adventuring but, as a uh, youth, huh? No, there wasn't a lot. Uh, well, I wouldn't say there was. That's okay, right. There right, wasn't yeah. a lot of distant. There was, there was some adventuring going <laughs> I'm sure on. sure there but, was. Um, anyway, yeah, it was uh, – parents dropped me off, and it turned out to be one of the best experiences of my life. You know, I didn't know anybody going up there or hardly anybody so was that scary or was that liberating it was liberating looking back on it maybe yeah. it was a little a little apprehensive at first but at the same time to your point liberating it was just kind of a fresh start a right. new start yeah so. did you did you find that we've talked to a few people on the show about those sort of transitions where you're in a completely new place where nobody really knows who Vince Graham is in Georgia did you reinvent certain parts? Did you leave parts of yourself in Georgia and take on new aspects, or, or was it just... Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. No. I just went up there and was in a new environment that was different. Yeah. And it was, I know, you know, Charlottesville doesn't sound that far. It's <laughs> not that far away from Atlanta, really. But okay. in a, uh, relative to places I had been, it seemed like a world away. I remember looking at, sometimes I'd catch glimpses of, you know, the... the, the um, the news where they were showing the weather and I would see, you know, Virginia way far away from Georgia. Wow. I'm so far away. (laughs) (laughs) You know, John and I being parents, you think about your kids and and them going off to college. And, you know, if you take the money issue aside, I thought, gosh, you know, I I really want to advocate for going out of state, Mm -hmm. not in state. Mm. Um, And as you think about most of us, we want we go to places where we're most comfortable. You know, it's just sort of our yeah. in our DNA. Having learned from that experience, going someplace where you, you weren't comfortable is that something you carried with you in, in in the decisions you made since? Have you gravitated towards areas in which you might have discomfort? Um, that's a great question, Alex. I think that. Uh Maybe it was having been to a place that I was not familiar with and been comfortable in it. Mm. Maybe that provided the, 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 the reduced the anxiety that Confidence. might be to, yeah, to go into a place that's uncomfortable, to mm. explore, and to, and to um, now that I think about it, maybe to inspire the intellectual curiosity about okay yeah people and other places and and just other aspects of life that weren't familiar because it was great and you were studying economics right yeah i mean i mean were you what were you taking literature reading uh uh, taking uh philosophy or anything else or where where did this other aspect of you because so much of uh, you know uh, if you just heard vince graham studied economics in college it it doesn't paint the sort of well-rounded picture of the individual you are what else were you doing to, to de- take these deep dives into these other areas? Um, I guess for the most part, I was just in, really inspired by the people who I was around up there. Okay. Um, you know, some really smart people and, and uh, trying to keep up with them. Yeah. Um, was, uh, was a big aspect of that. 
It's was very involved and 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 ultimately got involved in the fraternity uh, that I was in, Pi Kappa Alpha, and was um, president of the fraternity. So just working with people like that. But it was you know such a the place. If if you've ever been to Charlottesville and ever seen Thomas Jefferson's you know university, he designed the ground. So oh yeah, it's pretty amazing. Is it? You know we all have as Americans have somewhat of a reverence for Jefferson, but when you see the place and his kind of genius and physical form, it, it was. It was, it's an amazing place to be. Yeah, it sounds like it. Nice. Um, there was another question from our introduction there that I had for you about being a South Carolina Liberty Fellow. What Can you tell our listeners who might not know what that is? Can you tell us what that is? <laughs> well, that is an uh, organization, a fellowship set up by Greenville businessman Hayne Hip. Uh-huh. Um, it's modeled on the Aspen Institute and something called the Henry Crown Fellowship. Aspen Institute is based in Aspen, a think tank, and they have um, these they they have week long seminars, executive seminars that you can go and basically it's set up where they will in advance of going to the seminar they will send you readings. It could range from something that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote to some writing about Aristotle to okay. some contemporary writing. And you read these in advance, and then you go to the Institute, and you spend a week with 20 other professionals and professional moderators who are drawing out the um, and kind of a Socratic dialogue, uh, the values, important values to leadership. Okay. And so Hain, seeing that effect, the, the positive effect of that amongst the Henry Crown Fellows who were drawn from around the world, he decided to bring this to South Carolina and set that up. So I was um, very fortunate to be selected for the second class. I think there's been about 10 classes overall. And you have but to it's, it's, he's really trying to, yeah, you're nominated, and he's really trying to inspire this kind of values-based leadership with the program and creating okay. network of of uh, folks in throughout the state to help move the set move the state forward because people are interacting during the sessions and then also you have alumni now of 10 10 years right yeah interesting and there's um you know some pretty um impressive alumni too from you know, steve benjamin was in my class he's the was the first black mayor as the mayor currently of columbia oh, okay um you know tim scott lots of okay. representatives and corporate leaders in the state so that's cool well, um, before we get into your next adventure, which, again, was not very far. You moved from Atlanta to Beaufort, but uh, quite a difference. Um, we want to introduce uh, a, a piece of music that you suggested by Tracy Lawrence, If the World Had a Front Porch. So let's hear that, and then we'll come back in just a minute with Vince Graham. swing with her crochet It was where granddaddy taught me how to cuss and how to pray It was where we made our own ice cream Those sultry summer nights Where the bulldog had her puppies and us brothers had our fights There were many nights I'd sit right there and look out at the stars to the sound of a distant whippoorwill or the hum of a passing car I 
It was where I first got up the nerve to steal me my first kiss. And it was where I learned to play guitar and pray I had the gift. If the world had a front porch like we did back then, we'd still have our problems, but we'd all be friends. Treating your neighbor like he's your next again. I've shelled more than my share Lightning bugs and crickets Danced in the evening air Like a beacon, that old yellow bulb It always led me home Somehow mama always knew Just when to leave it all If the world had a front porch Like we did back then We'd still have our problems We'd all be friends Treating your neighbor like he's your next again Wouldn't be gone with the wind If the world had a front porch Like we did back then Treating your neighbor like he's your next again Wouldn't be gone All right, welcome back. Again, we're here with Vince Graham, and that was Tracy Lawrence with a song about the front porch. And uh, we're here to talk about your next adventure, which I mentioned before the break there, about moving from Atlanta to Beaufort. What was it about that that, uh, that made such a difference? Well, again, it was moving to a place I didn't know anyone, kind mm. of a fresh start. And um, just, you know, the, the place felt like home to me as soon as I was there. Did you have a job, or were you going there? I had a job. I went to work for some developers who were um, involved in developing Spring Island. That's right, and I Spring was Island. a project coordinator. Okay. So um, I moved. I could have – Spring Island is about halfway between Hilton Head and Beaufort, so I had a choice of which place to move. And, you know, Hilton Head's nice, but to me it was like Atlanta with palmetto trees. <laughs> so, and Beaufort had this kind of distinctive – character about it it does have a mellow vibe yeah. Buford does so and it was it was kind of it was um very important for me just the town itself because i had gone you know grown up in suburban atlanta gone away to uva walked around that place for four years come back to atlanta working for a bank and sitting in traffic all the time and then move into little Buford where i could walk and connect with people and it slowed down and I just there's something clicked, clicked. with me in this how old like, were you 25 25 at a time when so many people are still in the midst of wanting to speed things up in their right. lives you know you go the other way ended up in Beaufort in this idyllic seaside town and and uh, and and that becomes the inspiration for uh, the rest of your career really right yeah 
and it's it's kind of this shock to the system hmm. in a way. Um, you know, so Alex, noticeable. You talked about your 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 children and hmm. getting them off to a different place and seeing things in a different way, and it's the scale. I think there's a, hmm. a scale to the tone of life right down here in the Low Country that we all love so much, and that scale, um, you know, it's a, a human humane human scale about it that's uh, I, I just found so appealing I had the pleasure of listening in on a recent conversation where mm. somebody was asking you uh, what you do and you responded that you were an artist and they pried further and they said well what kind of artist and you said I'm a civic artist and they said so you're an architect and you said no I'm a, I'm a creator of communities and and I and I don't know maybe I'm paraphrasing that last point um, but it really made me think about you know how you visualize and envision communities is you know buildings are a part of them but they really are living breathing sort of organisms you know and and that's how you really approach it uh, I thought it was really beautiful it really gave me in, insight as to how um, how you go about your process. Tell us a little bit about Spring Island and sort of not a, well, maybe a difference of opinion that you had with the developers and how they were pursuing that build and, and, and what your thoughts were. Well, well, first, just a quick check about the process of community and creating community because a lot of developers talk about that. I don't really think that's what we do. I think community must, it can't be like created by one person. It has to emerge from people living or working in a place. Mm. Um, so just just want to make that clear. So we, you can create conditions right, that right. enable it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we try to do, the, the connect, create mm -hmm. conditions that people can connect with one another. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 the guys I was working for at Spring Island were, you know, wonderful, and and uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity they gave me because it led me to the Low Country. Um, they were uh, they had worked previously worked for Charles Fraser, who was the first developer on Hilton Head, mm. and their idea for Spring Island, which is a gorgeous place, and they were um, remarkable stewards of land, really care for land, which was uh, an important lesson for me. But they, their idea was to, originally it was this 3,000-acre you know, island and they wanted 500 five-acre lots spread out all over this island, which had been a hunting preserve for a century. Hmm. And, and I liked to hunt and we were still hunting at the time. Um, and I was so enamored with little historic Beaufort. So I thought that, well, what if rather than 500 five-acre lots sprawled all over the island, which is going to be expensive in terms of servicing with infrastructure and everything, why don't we take, say, 100 of those lots and build a little Beaufort-like neighborhood mm -hmm. um, and then on a much smaller piece of land, and then we could save that land that would have otherwise gone into five-acre lots for hunting. You had a beautiful quote, and I don't know if it's tied directly to this particular moment in time, but it, you said if if buildings are, if what you sell is the perception of privacy and exclusivity, then every new house is a degradation of the amenity. However, if what you sell is community, then every new house is an enhancement of the asset. 
first of all, that's, um, I can't take full credit for that because it was rehashed and made much more eloquent. I don't think I said it quite like that. <laughs> but um, thank you, Alex. It's, uh, but the idea came from observing, being at Spring Island, people would come from Hilton Head and say, oh, Hilton Head used to be a nice place until all these people moved here. And huh. I could sense that there was this resentment about newcomers, you know, the people who moved there first bought in for privacy and exclusivity. And then when more people started coming mm. in, that diminished the asset, what they were offering. So it get progressively worse and people would like dislike their neighbor. And huh. that didn't seem very sustainable to me. But what I noticed in Buford is, um, you know, I went up, I was this kid from Atlanta and was invited into homes. It was a completely different mindset. Hey, we got a new person in town, you know, let's invite them over for supper. Come sit on yeah. the porch and have a beer. You know, it was that it was completely different. Um, so that just it just made sense, right? If that is what you're selling, the the quote, if what you're offering people is the opportunity to connect and belong and a sense of community, then theoretically at least, every time a house gets built, you add to what's going more. It's an additive you know, process. Offered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, which of course leads me back. You mentioned the porch there and that the, that song about being on the on the, sitting on the front porch, and and I remember in Ion that was one of your original ideas, you know, because of course you know cutting from from Beaufort you do New Point, which was was that your first time that you had more of a creative control over the whole process in New Point. New Point, right? Okay. That was the first neighborhood, and yeah. then from there to Ion, similar style, correct? And parking in the back, and with the porches up front to encourage dialogue with the with the sidewalks and with your neighbors and yeah the i think the john the whole thing that distinguishes or i think what most distinguishes our work is this this focus on the public realm mm -hmm. the places that we share primarily the street and make, trying to make those beautiful in a way that's compelling that people do feel comfortable getting out and walking and then just informally connecting with their neighbors and the uh I love that Tracy Lawrence song because he's talking about, you know, one aspect is the, the porch, the yeah. ion that you notice. I mean, some, many of the houses have porches. And that's a way to, you know, you come out in the world to connect with other people, to communicate. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's not forced upon anybody, right? It's, right. Just, uh, it's just kind of done in an informal way that you get to know the neighbor. And that's where the bonds of community come from. You know, Ion recently celebrated its 20th anniversary, and you had many, uh, Dana Beach and Andres Duani were here to, to, to lead conversations around it. You know, I moved here 21 years ago, so right about the, the onset of, of that idea. Um, how, do you, how do you make sense of the, the visceral controversy that that created, and yet the overwhelming love <laughs> and support that it now engenders. I mean, it's, it's won national awards, uh, you know, numerous national awards for being the best community, the smartest growth. You talk to people who live within the, the area, they love it. If you're a capitalist and you just look by per square foot, the real estate's quite expensive. Um, and yet it wasn't an adored idea. Well, I think there's, there's, kind of, you know, we talked about a culture of hurriedness. I think to some extent we also live in a culture of fear and the fear carries over into the built environment because a lot of what's been built over the last several decades is, is 
sometimes forgettable. Um, and people think that, well, whatever is going to be built is going to make it worse. It gets back to this idea of mm. privacy and exclusivity. So they want to, their mindset is, well, we just take it for granted that whatever's built is going to be worse, so we don't want it. Or push Throw it, it over out. there. Right. You know, push it away because yeah. it's going to be bad. Hmm. And this, um, you know, this just this kind of fear that what comes next will be bad or, you know, the neighbor who moves in will be bad. And, you know, it's just this fear and it's just terrible. But there used to be, I don't think it used to, I mean, it used to be that people felt, you know, excited about growth and growth was looked at as the, you know, healthy growth like that of a child or of a tree. But now it's kind of, we fear it because of the, the form it takes. Yeah, the sprawl that it takes uh, oftentimes. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's something that uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Joe Minicazzi. Is that, am I saying his yeah, name Joe right? Joe Minicazzi. Minicazzi, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I watched a little video you sent about him, and he's just talking about the value of density. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just you know, a capitalist value, although it does make sense financially to do that as well. There's a certain sense that... Uh, uh, that uh, well, beauty sells, you know that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you paint an yeah. ugly picture, it's not going to be that valuable. Right, right. <laughs> In research, reading, you, you wrote, the truth is that our cultural identity is reflected in the details of our daily lives, in the scope of our sidewalks, what is noted on signs, the curve of our roads, the craftsmanship of our homes, and their proximity and relationship with neighbors. Our neighborhoods speak volumes about who we are as a people. Uh, I just think we're blessed to have, uh, you know, as, as I talked about earlier, uh, just having somebody with the thoughtful approach that you have uh, to the built environment um, and to see what it's been created, it's beautiful. Well, thanks. Y'all are so gracious. It's, um, it's, it, it's within, though. I mean, I think a lot of times what we do in our business is, is not so much create neighborhoods as much as we do create opportunities for other people to come in and create neighborhoods, to build mm -hmm. houses or to you know, plant trees or, or design a beautiful um, fence or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So it's creating opportunities for other people to come in and do their thing. Well, it didn't come easy. You had, ended up having to go all the way to the state Supreme Court to get the community pushed through. I was watching one of those videos. If, if anybody's interested, you know, there's the Radical Eye on Then Now Tomorrow series that you put on, and you can find those on YouTube. Um, but Andres Duani, who's the founder of the Congress for New Urbanism, said, uh, uh, Charleston is the best city in the country, quite possibly the world. Ion gives Charleston a run for its money. Ion is a miracle. You have no idea how hard it was, how much they pushed exceptional individuals. It's high praise from a guy who I know you look up to. Um, yeah, he was, that was very nice of him to say. Yeah. How did you get that done? I mean, how did you find the fortitude to continue on when at the beginning it looked like things weren't happening? Well, um, I think we're, and you know, my father and brother are our youngest brother are partners in That's Ion, right. and um, we're all pretty stubborn. We don't like to lose. <laughs> okay. We don't like to lose to bastards. I saw that in a football <laughs> game that we recently played. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, and we, we... So you dug in. Yeah, we yeah. dug in, and we just figured it out. Yeah, so yeah. made some compromises. As you know, John used to live there, but uh -huh. it's, a, it's a compromised version of what was originally envisioned. But. Which is pretty pretty phenomenal to think that the compromise version is so successful. I mean, it, it it'd be it's gonna be it's be really wonderful to see what happens when you can get the full Monty. 
Right. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with it over the long term. Right. History is a long process, right? That's true. Well, That's it was true. a further notch on your belt of, uh, of being a contrarian, uh, what I might and John might consider a move towards a radical, and uh, which we're going to get into in the latter part of the conversation. But before that, we're going to cut to a song by Lucinda Williams, which uh, you just brought to my ears and which I can't stop playing. So <laughs> I hope the audience enjoys. Be my lover. 
never don't play no game Just play me John Coltrane Welcome back to the show. We're here with Vince Graham, and I uh, love that tune. Love her voice. That awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Love that guitar. <laughs> um, my mother introduced a book to me by Scott Peck, uh, which is a good segue into this part of the conversation, because you, you refer to a quote uh, by Scott Peck in the book, The Different Drum, uh, in which he says, the word radical comes from the Latin radix, meaning root. The proper radical is one who tries to get to the root of things, to not be distracted by superficials, to see the woods for the trees. It is good to be a radical. Anyone who thinks deeply will be one. Um, venturing off of sort of the built environment, tell us a little bit about what we now all celebrate, uh, Second Sunday on King Street and where that idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if you can attribute that to me. But uh, maybe we were a part of it in some small way. Um, so I'm on the, uh, I was on at the time the board of Charleston Moves, which John, you're on now. It's an advocacy group for pedestrian and bicycling and transit. And uh, I was just, I had come back from a trip to Rome and noticed there, you know, ancient city with narrow street, narrow sidewalks and narrow streets. And I'd noticed that. On the streets where the sidewalks were narrow and they had parallel parking that they would allow um, restaurateurs to rent the parking space and set up tables and chairs and sunbrellas and then the you would go and sit and you know on the street and the wait staff would cross the sidewalk to serve you and I thought well this is a cool idea this is a good way to do it so I came back with that idea in mind and and um, had a meeting with Mayor Riley, and we talked about it. He said, yeah, I think that's a good idea, but nothing ever <laughs> happened. So um, one day we uh, were in a board meeting at Charleston Moves, and I said, all right, I'm going to have, at, I can't remember, you know, 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock on this date, at around this location, I'm going to have a party in a parking space. So you're welcome, <laughs> all refreshments provided. You know, and so um, I just got some tables and chairs from uh, a friend and um, bag of quarters what's that in a bag of quarters yeah well, bag of, well just put three quarters <laughs> I think it needed, was right? five o'clock okay. or maybe six because it was you know they you don't have to pay after That's six right. so I think it was five <laughs> and uh, just put three quarters in and and um, set up our little place and I got I had a, a cooler full of non-alcoholic beer and and wine and we ordered pizza from Mellow Mushroom and it came out and we just had a party um, so 
you know, a couple of cops came by and they would give us looks. <laughs> and then one came by and they said, you, you can't do this. You're not here. And I was like, well, we put our quarters in the meter. You know, what's wrong? He's like, well, that doesn't matter. You can't do it. So he called in support and there were all these cars lined up, you know, police cars lined up, you know, um, uh, making it so that cars couldn't get down King Street, causing all this traffic back up to give me a ticket for illegal use of a parking space. I can't remember what the ticket was, something random. They had to make something up, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, Robert Barra, who was a friend who writes to the Post and Courier, he, he took the story and kind of sensationalized it. Okay. You know, and it hit the AP wire, and I was getting calls from all over the country about, uh, <laughs> you know, taking over this, you know, man versus car yeah. um, and uh, on King Street. So anyway, one thing led to another, I guess. Well, you know, you often think it's interesting because now in your position with the Infrastructure Bank, you're again at that uh, question of, you know, man and car and and sort of mobility and those issues. Um, And we're going to get into that. Um, But it's, you know, a lot of people who push the envelope, and I think you certainly do in the right way, um, come across agitated or aggressive and you do it with such a little twinkle in your eye you know i mean <laughs> i think you do you just you know just a little jab here with a smile uh, and it's really refreshing john and i were chatting about that i sort of yeah. envision you probably leaving that little space walking down king street sort of doing an irish kick with your heels uh. you know <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful quality that, that you oh, well, you're, you're so as, nice as, as you push us as a culture to think uh, more deeply about things. Uh, well, grace is pretty important, right? Yeah. Particularly in the South. Absolutely. Be about things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's good that we can laugh at ourselves and laugh at our world. I mean, that's, that's, it that's is. important too. It is, it is. And I, you know, it reminds me of, of, of something you mentioned from, from Martin Luther King about being maladjusted and, how, and about that being a great quality to strive for about you know not just taking the status quo as it is but actually looking into things and and if it's not working to be maladjusted toward it he actually went so far as to say he wanted to start a new organization called the international association for the advancement of creative maladjustment (laughs) which i laughed at thinking you could have said that Uh, well talk about inspiration i mean he, he and talk about someone who not so subtly, but off he he would he he was he's pushing so edges. great at provoking and mm-hmm. creating this kind of constructive tension to make people stand back and think, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. And that's the, that gets back to the radical aspect of it of getting to the root. What is it about this that yeah. people are concerned about, or that in another light makes something beautiful and cool? There's something about it. How do you get to that? What is that? So trying to tr- trying to get to the root of what that is. And is that your fundamental working space when you're thinking about these different projects you're working on, is tr- just getting at the root? Because I know you love history, and you love to deep dive into these things and, and get a sense for how we got to where we are now to le- use the past to reference the future. Yeah, well, I think you have to... You have to it, it's very helpful to have an understanding of where you've been, right? Yeah. To understand where you are, and then it's, uh, it's also helpful, I think, to know... Your history, I mean, you know, to quote, to quote another Southerner, um, Robert E. Lee, history teaches us to hope so we can see where mm. we've been and where we might go. You know, it gives us room to see, hey, we can improve. We can get yeah. better. 
King showed that. You know, so many people do. And we've, I mean, we look at look at Charleston. We look back at this ancient city and all this beauty that was created by just, you know, they, these people didn't have graduate degrees from Harvard. They were just going out and building it, doing their thing, and creating beauty. Yeah. I love how you shared with me like the the current state of infrastructure and that's your new new role and you're having to think through that and you're taking a deep dive. But share with our audience sort of, you know, I've never thought about how we've gotten here. Uh, You know, and you talked about the 100th year anniversary of the, I think, the Federal Highway Bill, maybe. Mm -hmm. Could you share with the audience a little bit more? Well, that that? was so this year, 2016, is the 100th anniversary of the first Federal Highway Bill. It's also the 100th anniversary of the first comprehensive zoning ordinance. So those places have had a tremendous impact on how we live today. And I just, you know, if you look at the last 100 years in the context of the previous 100 years where you had all this innovation, right? You had steamships and trains and bicycles and automobiles and streetcars and subways, tremendous innovation. For the last hundred years, um, with the and, and that bill basically enabled the federal government to funnel uh, money to the states to build automotive infrastructure. So as we put all our transportation eggs in the automotive basket, the effect that that had was to crowd out our other transportation choices. You know, we mm-hmm. no longer have streetcars, right? And we we often just have the the built environment is is built for cars to go fast. And this is the point that Peter Norton's making in that book, Fighting Traffic, that you're reading right now, That's right? That's right, yeah. Um, and, and we've also, but that we've also, by focusing um, on automotive transportation, we have, I think, inadvertently undermined innovation. So we have sure. not had the same level of innovation that we did before. You know, everybody's wondering, you know, where's my Jetsons car? Right. You know, who knows where we would be if mm. we hadn't spent all this money on focusing on perpetuating the automotive transportation to the exclusion of so many other possibilities right. mm-hmm. yeah well in your new role you mentioned that you're in listen and learn mode what does that entail it's really uh ear to the ground trying to figure out what's happening yeah well we we do have despite what a lot of people think we've got some really good people at, in the legislature and at the department of transportation thoughtful people mm-hmm. who've you know, devoted their lives to this um so i'm i've never been in a position like this i'm you know, I'm trying to understand where their perspective is, what their perspective is, and also uh, just what opportunities there are to to maybe affect change in a positive way. And from the learning role, again, as I said earlier about um, trying to understand where you've been in order to move forward, there's a lot of that. Yeah, okay. So I'm just still trying to figure out what the opportunities might be, how we can lead. I can... I do know that when people say transportation in South Carolina, they just think of automotive transportation. Right. Um, and then that's that's not the only form of transportation. There's everything from our feet to, you know, these other four bicycles to other forms of transportation. And and, uh, and there are things that I think impact transportation that um, people don't normally think of. Like if you built... If you just built a beautiful place that you don't have to drive as, as far or as much... That's kind of a transportation uh, strategy, right? Right. Or, you know, what we've done in the past to the past few decades is our solution, in quotes, to uh, address congestion is to just increase the supply of asphalt. 
but we don't think about, well, how can we decrease the demand for that asphalt? Right. Because every mm. time we build more roads and more widen the roads, it just induces further driving, so they fill up and everybody's upset. So maybe we think about that a different way. Well, I'd certainly have to applaud Governor Nikki Haley for stepping outside the box and throwing your hat in the ring on this decision. Well, uh, thanks, yeah. I'm curious how, how she thought uh, a self-described, maladjusted, radical, inquisitive <laughs> contrarian <laughs> would be the right fit. But I think it's a great way to shake things up and bring in a different viewpoint, which clearly is needed at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious and, and excited to see where this road leads. Well, thanks. Me too. We'll see. Maybe it's not a road. <laughs> at least not a wide road right? yeah right <laughs> um so we have uh in in that sort of um the contrarian uh aspect of of, of discussion here we've got a song by leo kotke and mike gordon who's the bassist from fish called the grid we'd like to lead out with how did you end up with this song in your playlist Oh gosh, I just uh, I think those guys are great. The combination of uh, you know, I think that I'd, I'd heard some um, remakes of songs they did, and I just it just caught my ear, and I, yeah. I like the sound, and so I've been listening to them for years. Excellent. Well, let's get a piece of the grid. Thanks for being here. Great yeah. to be here, y'all. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Cheers. Delighted.
Grid by Leo Kotke and Mike Gordon of Fish. Uh, what a tune, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about Vince, he's creating the grid, but re- the, the way he approaches uh, sort of just pushing uh, common culture, um, I think off the grid is a good, is a good description. Yeah, or at least he's, he's uh, designed his own grid. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice. I'm happy to be connected to the Vince Graham grid because yeah. it, it definitely opens my mind up to alternative ways of looking at things and, and questioning. I mean, I think that inquisitiveness, that's the thing that I'm most inspired by is, is the inquisitiveness in a way that, that has a, a softness to it. Oh, so soft. I mean, yeah. and, but, and, and, and he's inquisitive everywhere. Right. I mean, everything mm-hmm. we, we, yeah. we were getting ready for the show. We had a technical difficulty. So Vince looked at us and said, can I climb out the window and look on the roof? We're like, <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> First guest that ever asked that, but of course you can. And you know, it was and so that's great. Vince Graham. We end up on the roof and we're looking out over I-26 and you can see all the connections all the way around. And I could see his wheels spinning about his right. infrastructure bank, you know, dollars being spent and, and just the layout of the land here, you know, really just that curiosity clicked in right away. Yeah. Yeah. First guest to go up on the roof with us, right? Right. I think I so. Yeah. Of course it would be, you know. It's just a beautiful thing to have, uh, you know, people in government and working with those levels to have uh, that curiosity and openness and, uh, you know, feel, uh, as you said, uh, a tribute to Nikki Haley for putting him in that position. I think so. And and combined with what, as he mentioned, that stubborn Georgia roots. So. It, when he does latch on to an idea he feels strongly about, uh, he'll be damned if it's not gonna, he's not going to push his hardest to get it done. And cool. thankfully so, because he did have to push hard for some of these things he's working on. And, and the community's a better place for it. You know, he's, he's such an avid consumer of, you know, literature and poetry and quotes and music and mm. all of those different creative art forms. But the built environment really is... Uh, um, an area in which he's just, he's, he's a pioneer. I mean, he's a, he's a true leader. And I've had conversations with him about sort of different built environments that he's thinking about. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he mm-hmm. ventures back into that world, you know? Yeah. Because um, that's not where he spends his, you know, all hours of his day. Today, right, you know? right, right. Yeah, I get the sense that he that he will, and and he'll be there trying to create more, as he as he said, opportunities right. for community to be built. And I think that's that must be the beauty uh, and and the mystery of what he does, because he can envision it as much as he wants, and at some point, the people who come to live there are actually the ones who shape what it becomes. Yeah, and then absolutely. it's an ever evolving, transforming place. But what right? I mean, what what a beautiful thing to be able to go into ION and see the vibrant community that exists there and to think that I I was one of the people who helped create it, or at least created the the structure structure, that allowed that to flourish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll he'll be the first to downplay his significance in his role, but 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 you know, none of that happens without without him involved. And and when I went to see him speak as he introduced Andres Duani for the Radical Ion discussion, there was a bit. It was really nice to see. There was a bit of triumph in his voice when he was talking about two decades 
of it being around and the accolades it's receiving because there was a time when he went through four years of people just bad-mouthing the entire idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, yeah, it was really great, you know, to see two decades in the, the, the people coming together to talk about how amazing it is. Absolutely one of the most interesting, thoughtful people I know. Um, and really an honor to have him on the show. I agree. You know? Yeah. Uh, thanks for spending another hour of your time with us. Uh, thanks to Vicki and Lee Barber. Thanks to Thomas Kenny behind the scenes making the sound all happen. Katie, thanks for helping us. And uh, good to be with you again, John. Thanks, Alex. Good stuff. Till next time. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.